If you could ask us any question, what would it be? We are so glad that you're here because you're choosing to thrive after betrayal, trauma, or addiction. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, the once betrayed. I'm Kobe, the once addicted. And I'm Brandon, the expert. Now, why am I an expert? Because I've treated betrayal, trauma, and addiction for over a decade. All right, let's start with a review from our iTunes. Simple yet key solutions. As a recovering addict, this podcast has provided so many profound insights and answers to questions that I've had about my recovery journey that I haven't been able to find anywhere else. It's helped me understand the difficulties along the way and how to overcome them. It's helped me have a better idea of what I want to be working towards and have the motivation to get there. Thanks to you three for your vulnerability and your openness. It's helped improve my life immensely. Thank you. That was just yesterday that they left out. Oh, that's so thank awesome. you. Yeah, thank you. We love hearing from both sides. Yeah. Okay, so we um, are going to give a little sneak peek today of um, some questions that we get over on Patreon. And so I'm sure most of you are, have heard about Patreon, but that's a place where um, for a small fee, you get more access to some deeper content, um, things like deep dives from the podcast, and um, we answer questions, and people are able to ask us specific questions about their um, situations, and so we dive into those. So today, we are going to take some of those questions and answer them on the podcast. So um, let's go for it. Okay, I am going to read some of these. First question, what does a trigger check-in look like? What does a trigger check-in look like? Is that like and a check-in that's triggering? <laughs> or is that I, like, I'm going to check in on my triggers? I, yes. know, I know what she means, yeah. Well, um, or he. It could be either one. Sure, okay. Um, but usually it goes uh, that the, at, the, the betrayed is asking for a check-in about triggers, right? So okay. See, I like if they're let's do it both because I see both ways. Okay. Because we talk about triggers as the betrayed. I, yeah, but I rarely see the betrayed wanting to check in with her triggers. Or, or the oh. addict um, saying, I'd like you to check in. I'd like you to check in with your triggers with me. But however, that would be really healthy. I that mean, would that good. would like, be. Hey, I want to hear your triggers. Talk to me. I'm here for you. Um, but know, more than more, I'm going to take it personally. That would be really good. That actually could be, be awesome. really cool to hear yeah. that. But what you're saying is, the majority of the time, it's the it's the betrayed saying to the addict, "Hey, what are your triggers? Okay, okay. were you triggered today?" So from the get go, there's there's a, an issue with it, which is, um, it's kind of fear cycle-y. Mm. and so to to set up trigger check ins, I would say is problematic, and. The reason is, is because, you know, how you're, you're trying to rebuild trust. And, and there's this misnomer that the way that I gain trust in you is by knowing everything that you did throughout the day. But all it does yeah. is breed more crazy. More crazy, <laughs> more fear, right, Ashlyn? I was there. I was the girl who was like, tell me everything. Yes. Didn't help. And so many couples fall fall into this trap. Let's sit down every single night, and I want you to tell me every little bit of lust that you had throughout the day, and and that's your way of being honest with me in our relationship. Um, the it, it, as a couple, it's good that you set up a system where you know what needs to be disclosed, 
and what doesn't need to be disclosed because there's stuff that needs to not be disclosed between the two of you. And it's not that, that you're trying to be shady or whatever. It's just that you're living your life and y- you know, you're dealing with your triggers as they come and there's not the, the other partner's not in danger. Wait, dealing with triggers as they come. Yeah. Not as I not as I perpetuate them. So you're saying a guy like not a guy but uh someone who is who struggles with addiction can have triggers come out of nowhere. Absolutely. There there's euphoric recall, so it can just come up out of nowhere, literally. Just boom into their brain. So does that mean um, that, that that they're trying to perpetuate their own addictive cycle if that just comes out of nowhere no so and and this is where it depends on what you do with those triggers that really matters and so having a trigger check-in is like triggers are gonna come you're gonna you're gonna you're human yeah you're gonna walk past a, a another human that you're attracted to or see a billboard or that like things are gonna happen right um, but then if you take that trigger and you throw it into the addiction cycle, you let it ruminate, you, you bake it, so to speak, you just kind of let it sit there. And then next thing you know, um, you know, you're, you're masturbating to pornography that night because you didn't deal with your trigger. We got some problems and, and there's going to come a line there. There needs to be a line there where, um, you, you need some accountability and some openness with a, with a partner. And, and what I would say is that line for that partner, she, she or he needs to know when they're in danger and, and so that they can execute their self-care, they can execute their recovery plans because s- something's happening. Um, you're not in danger if your partner is triggered. And, and I would also argue too, and we, we don't, I mean, we could talk about this for a full episode yeah, actually. Yeah, we could. <laughs> um, but, but I would also argue that that anytime there is a trigger that comes out of nowhere, there's a there's a tempting thought uh, uh, that just just pops into their head. Euphoric recalls what you called it, right. or um, anything of that like. Um, that just makes you human. But but second of all, um, there are underlying emotions, stresses, worries, concerns, or and and, and then also potential situations that were the catalyst to uh, a tempting thought or um, allowing yourself to go to that place. So the further you, or the more you want to entertain that trigger, the more there's probably underneath that trigger. And, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, if yeah. we think of a trigger just as a sexual trigger, then we're missing something here. Because usually it's a cocktail of things. It's, yeah. it's life. I'm, I'm bored. I got a sexual trigger. I, yeah, I got life. I got things are coming I at me. I feel lonely. I stressed at work. Yeah, exactly. Didn't sleep. <laughs> you make a really good point, Kobe. Is when you're if you're triggered a lot, like you're triggered a lot throughout the day, then stop for a minute and analyze and dig deep and say, okay, what, like, what really is going on here with me? What, what things do I need to face? What pain do I need to deal with? Um, so that I so that I'm not looking to numb out and escape. Yep. So absolutely. That it's kind of those body cues to say, hey, let's work backwards and figure out how we can. Some of them are preventable. Yes. Yeah. I love that work backwards, and there's no shame in it. Like, whoa, here I am triggered. So now let me dig down to what's really going on. For sure. So. Um, okay. Next question. Okay. Let's do it. Says this is for Ashlyn and Kobe. How long did it take for Kobe once he was in recovery to stop gaslighting, blaming, etc.? to take responsibility for his choices. And then Ashlyn, how long before you saw changes and was it only in small doses? 
I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are about that. I'm just it's, that's actually kind of a hard one to to think back on as far as my gaslighting you, um, or like early in recovery. I know I have a hard time when people say, like, give me a time frame because I feel like it's just one big blur for me yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and our I do feel like people are moving forward quicker than we did, which could be not true. I don't know, but okay. they come to me with way more education behind their you know they have a footing and i didn't when i started um so i think that there's something to that to say how long did it take kobe to stop gaslighting what was the gaslighting and what else was in the question uh blaming and taking responsibility okay so i i think i think that was more of a of a tapering off process than just like stopping because i've still gaslit you i've still had moments where i haven't taken responsibility not in recovery but in other areas yeah 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 absolutely and um and so i might gas gaslight you at you know in a role as parent and i probably have done that in the five years since since we started but but i guess the the real point with that is is everybody's going to have a challenging day and that includes the portrayed and the addicted and so when you find yourself in a hijacked moment outside of your wise mind, as you talk right. about, Brandon, and, and you find yourself blaming or you find yourself gaslighting and your partner says, wait, you're gaslighting. I'm not okay with this. It's, it's your ability to recognize it and take personal responsibility and say, wait, you're right, I need a minute. And, and it's really just how you respond in those moments because I think it's really just a tapering off process. I don't think you get to a point where you stop. Well, it's, it, I know this is your guys' question, but I'm gonna butt in here <laughs> uh, Please bit. do. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a, it's, a, it's a complicated thing because it's not, it's not like, yes, it takes a year and then all of a sudden, boom, like he's honest. Um, it's, uh, there, there's, there's different elements to the equation. Um, is he coming into working recovery with humility and a desire to change and internal motivation? Because if he is, then that process is gonna gonna speed up and and go well. Yeah. Is he coming in resistant? Is he being drug into it by you? Is you know then then it's gonna take a little bit longer, um, and it might might not happen at all. Um, there is a fog, so mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning where you know, an addict can't see their own denial. They can't see their own dishonesty. They think they're being honest, but they're being dishonest. And it does take good reflection. So it takes good therapy. It takes good sponsors, good coaches, whatever it is, right? To to help them get up and out of that fog. Um, And, uh, but there's there's not this light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like all of a sudden, voila, we did it. Yeah, for sure. And like you were saying, Kobe, it's taper off. It's a constant process. And I mean, I think even now there's gaslighting and dishonesty in your relationship. And even in my relationship, there's that going on. Um, I feel like we're a lot more aware of it. Um, We we can work through it quicker. You can recognize it. I think when we didn't know what, you know, there's no names for it. There's no education. It's just like, I just something's not right here yes. and it feels off and I don't know what the heck it is. And so once you both know, you could start to like, I see myself doing it or I see you doing yes. it. 
which is harder when you called the other person out. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, but that's the value of an education and humility. You yeah. mix those two things together and it's like, hey, I, I recognize what I'm doing because I'm educated. Mm-hmm. I understand it. And I'm humble enough to self-reflect to actually own it. And when you get there, then these things are still going to happen, but you can work through them. Yeah, so. it's it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a process of becoming of uh, the end goal is to just be real time mindful. So when you are about to say it, or you do say it, and you're like, wait, let me just let me just step that back. That was actually gaslighting in nature. I think that's really the goal. Let me is, start over. I, yeah. That's like, let me we start say over, that yeah. all the time. I text Jenny like two weeks ago and it was about, we had a little conflict going on and I text her this thing and she's like, that's like, she's like, that's weird. What? Like, and I was like, I was just trying to be passive aggressive to get what I wanted from you. <laughs> you <laughs> called it out. Like, I called it out and it was like, Hey, all right, I got to move on. Right. That's so, so funny. I'm, I'm also going to say, um, because it does take, to to start to recognize so often in group um uh, like just yesterday a girl came who's really struggling to find empathy for her spouse who has struggled with addiction Mm -hmm. and when she came and she shared a story i could see this is progress like that was you having empathy but it didn't have to do with recovery. So she was yes. having a hard time, like you said, like you need someone yes. who can point things An out to you. outside source. Yeah. And so yes. I said, oh my gosh, like, do you realize what you did? And she, yeah. ha- she's like, no, I don't. And so I pointed it out. That's empathy. Yes. And it was like, she was so excited. Yes. Like, I'm so glad I don't have <laughs> no feeling towards my husband. But um, so I say that, like, it goes both ways. You have to have eyes to see it and to not go to like, When's the shoe going to drop? Like right. he did it once, but is he going to do it again? Right. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm also going to add in there the empathy thing. Like I think Kobe stopped um, gaslighting and blaming and started owning his stuff a lot quicker. The empathy seemed to take so long. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I don't even know how long it was, but I shared with you a trigger. And um, that was like the first time I remember that you That was probably ever like two up. years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Because he's very at times empathetic um now but it took a long yeah. time for that because it, it took me getting out of my own shame when you were struggling in order to be there for you yeah because i guess that, yeah me sharing my trigger of this is where my head goes in that moment and it's because right. of what you did because we spent 14 right. years where if you went to shame then I was like, it's my if fault. If you've worked really, really hard not to be empathetic, um, <laughs> you know, your whole life, <laughs> it's going to take some time. Yeah, it's hard to just turn it on. And, and, and it takes skills too. Yeah. yeah. It takes vulnerability mixed with the skills to actually do it. And so it's good when you, you get out of the denial, you get out of the fog, you're not acting out all the time. That's all great. Right. But then to do your own internal work to, to overcome your shame so that you can start to empathize, there's a process in that. I will so. say when I started doing Brene Brown's um, shame resiliency course, and I was told, like, it's a skill that you learn. Most humans are not born with empathy. Yeah. Like, you can be born with compassion, not empathy. Yes. And it was like this giant relief of like, okay, I'm not a jerk. Right. I just need to learn how to do this. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. So. Which is interesting because just one last thing on this, I, I believe Kobe is is an empath. You're naturally empathetic, right? And, which is interesting because we're talking <laughs> about how you suck so bad at empathy. 
Totally. So even an empath, and what I mean by that is somebody who who does have the ability to connect to other people's energy and emotions. Um, Even an empath can really suck at empathy when shame um, has ruled the day for so long. Yeah. And and it, it did take you some work to rediscover yourself and and who you truly are as an empathetic person, Kobe. So for sure, because well. I, I think what you're saying, like he showed up in so many different ways, empathetic, but in that one there was shame, so yes, he, couldn't. So he couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so next question is a tough one. What if the addict's affair resulted in a child? Every holiday or special event includes her, not to mention daily life. And I really can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Can you give um, the partners pers- or can you give pointers and advice for both partners? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we move forward and how does the addict navigate this? That is a, that That's is, a Brandon question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a complicated one. And the first thing I want to do is just just um, empathize and validate um, how difficult that is. <clears throat> and. And how unfair that is that that you have to deal with something like that. That's hard. That's really hard. Incredibly hard. Um, I think there are things that you can do to um, make it not as hard. And so um, let's talk the different sides of it. Okay. So um, from the betrayed's perspective, I think first and foremost, give yourself permission to feel um, the feelings that you feel. So it's okay if you're feeling frustrated that you have to deal with his other baby on Christmas. And I, I realize it's a baby and all those things, but it brings up a lot for you. And so give yourself permission to, to feel that. Um, I would, I would uh, set up some parameters and get as clear as you can get about how things are going to work in terms of custody, in terms of holidays, um, in terms of you know his interaction with the affair partner, how does that work? Really lay it out clearly as to how you can set it up. Because let's be honest, it is not that baby's fault. And I think as adults, you all want to look at this and say, okay, how can we be the biggest people we possibly can be (laughs) to to help that child, um, you know, have a good life. And I think from the betrayed's point of view, it takes an extremely large amount of strength and um, just love to be able to, to let go and care about that child um, because you are a part of that child's life now as well, whether or not you, you wanted to be or not. So I would be clear about structure. Um, the, the other thing is I would work extremely hard on your relationship um, because you're going to have to communicate through some hard things as they come up. There's not one answer to solve all of this because there's going to be every little thing that comes up. And if your relationship is good and he can be empathetic to you, you can be honest with him, then you'll be able to work through these issues as they come. So, so that kind of leads to, you know, the, the addict side of things. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough situation t- to look at because you, there's a dilemma here. You're trying to create safety for your wife. At the same time, you have responsibility because you have a child. And you could, you could ditch out on that child. Hopefully, with your integrity, you'd say, that doesn't work for me. But then you want to create safety for your wife. And so it could go both ways, too. Totally. Husband, wife, yeah. Totally. This could go both ways. So what, 
So what do you do, right? You work your recovery extremely hard. Um, you have boundaries with your affair partner and you don't break those boundaries. Um, your wife will know exactly what your plan is with that relationship and you keep to that plan no matter what. Um, you talk openly um, with your wife about struggles to keep to that plan. Um, and meaning meaning, um, you talk about, when you say talk about struggles with your partner about keeping to that plan, do you, do you mean talking about when it's hard um, to keep it? Yeah, so like, hey, I had to pick up the baby at preschool and I know I'm not supposed to be alone when she's there and I ran into her. And so I'm just letting you know, honestly, that I saw her. And it's not like, oh, I want to hide that a little bit. And we, you know, we smiled at each other just a little, but mm -hmm. I'm, she, my wife doesn't need to know that, right? It's that it's, transparency. It's transparency and openness about what that relationship is. And it sounds like, Brennan, um, Kobe and I have this talk sometimes, totally different ball game. I understand right. that. But sometimes I go to like, I wish our relationship was more like Brandon and Jenny's that didn't have this huge like trauma thing in between. Right. Where we didn't have to be so like, I need to know that you're like, let's set up rules and all these right. things. So I'm sure it could feel like this is so dumb. Like, why do we have to be so rules and transparent and all this when right. other people don't? And it's one of those hard it's, consequences. It's a, it's a, it's it's dealing with the reality that you're in. Yeah. And I mean, you could go into denial and just be like, no, we're all happy, but that's not the case. This is a hard situation. And because of that, you're going to have to deal with some consequences of it. And, you know, as the betrayed, it sucks for you that you have mm -hmm. to deal with these consequences. But if you're choosing into your marriage, then you're choosing into a marriage where this child is there. And um, so I think that, I think that in the end, you know, years down the road, you can look at this and say, I did really well. And, yeah. and, um, I learned a lot through this. And it sounds so. like they're really trying. And yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for this question for sure. And the fact that they're even there and showing up. Um, I really loved, I'm going to just end that question with what you said, make it about the child. Yeah. When you can do that in any sort of trauma, whether it's abuse, it's anything you make it about the child and not the adults. Yes. It well, just seems and, simple. And her asking this question is awesome because I think a lot of, a lot of partners who have been betrayed would just be like, just, you know, leave that child alone, but out of its life, you know, pay your child support and just, you know, and, and because her asking this is her saying like, how do we navigate this? Because I realize that, that that child needs a father. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome that you're even asking this. Absolutely. Okay, next question. Kobe, did you feel, did you ever feel like you were not able to change or have it in you to be responsible for someone else's life or be able to take care of them? Did you ever feel like you were a failure and that there was no hope? Uh, certainly felt, I'm going to need you to repeat the first I know lots of the questions. The second and the third question, <laughs> but the, let me just speak to the fourth one. The answer to that is without question, yes. I was stuck in hopelessness for like 31 years where it was just like hopeless that this was be this would be something that that would ever, you know, be put behind me that I could work through. So without question there was. 
And there were even daunting moments in recovery where it was hard to, like when we, when we started recovery in, in like in earnest, it was, there were some hopeless moments, but the way that I was able to cognitively, consciously work through those moments was by uh, remaining number one, committed to recovery and engaging in the support uh, functions and the support people that I was connected to. Like I was going to group early in recovery, going to individual, going to 12 step every week. And that was how I had, that, that was kind of, those are the parameters of support and the people of support that were in my life. And so that helped me um, to, to stay in the game. But then I also realized early, like when I went to 12 step, I was sure to take it one day at a time. And I was like, I don't even know like what that means. And I have this, like my third time going to 12 step. And then I realized for me, what helped me to be focused, um, on today was I have to execute my dailies for today. I have to be mindful of my boundaries today. I have to be mindful of my emotions and I got to be really focused on identifying spike. And if I can just focus on those things, then I can let go of tomorrow or two months from now or two years from now. I don't have to worry about those. So that to me was how I was able to get over the hopeless moments was I'm just going to focus right now on what I'm feeling and making sure that I can execute the things that I can control. What was the first, second, and third question? It's kind of the w same. Will you, will you read the question again? Because I, I want to point something out. And, okay. And, like read it all, if you would, Ashlyn. Did you ever feel like you were not able to change or have it in you to be responsible for someone else's life and be able to take care of them? Interesting. Responsible for someone else's life. Like the caregiver, I'm guessing. Not okay. codependency, right? Or maybe it is. I don't, I, I don't know. What I heard in the question, though, was was like hopelessness. Yeah. Was, you know, I've tried and tried, and this is hard, and, and I get to the point where it's just like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And like better off alone. Yeah, like yeah, like this. I'm going to start disconnecting and isolating, and I, I'm, I'm a constant failure. And, you know, it's interesting. I woke up this morning, and I was like, okay, hey, I'm eating healthy today. And that's because I ate like two pizzas last night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how many times have I done that? How many times has it been like, hey, I'm healthy, healthy eating, and then I'm scarfing down a donut, you know? Yeah. And it gets to a point where it's like, well, I'm just going to fail again. So why try? But the, the reality is, is, is I, think, I think that question is really important. Why try? Why, yeah. why get up today as the sun's coming up and try to make some positive changes in my life? Um, well, the other option is I could just quit. Um, why quit? Quitting, quitting, you know, is going to push you deeper into depression and um, an addiction. I have seen men, uh, you know, 60-year-old men, um, men who have, you said 31 years, right, that you've been in the shame. And I've seen men... Um, and I've seen women in their in their marriages and in their betrayal um, who have struggled for years and years and years totally shift everything about their lives and everything about their relationships. Um, that the, the, you believing that you can't get there will make it so that you can't. Um, you believing that you will get there one day, I believe you will get there, right? Does that, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it's totally sure. a mind game. And yes. by asking this question, they have some. It might be totally. little, but There's it's there. Yeah. And they wouldn't be over on Patreon. They wouldn't be hearing the podcast 
if they didn't believe a little. Yes. Um, so it's just shifting that mindset to believe more. Like you said, figuring out why. Right. Why are you not quitting? Why right. are why you Why get up this? today, you know, pull up your bootstraps and do this. Yeah. Right? So I have to read this quote because okay. it pulled up on my Facebook memories and I was like, oh, this fits. Um, it's Zig Ziglar. And he says, people often say a motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does ba- taking a bath. That's why we recommend it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So take yeah. a bath and have hope. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Next question. Um, this is probably more a Brandon question. What does healthy divorce look like? I can't go back to my parents' house. I need to work on myself. I need to be stronger and more powerful than I am. And I'm finding and trying to find God on my own. So it's hard because we don't know him. We don't know where right. I don't even know if it's the betrayed or the addicted. But she kind of, or she or he, um, mm. they kind of answered the question um, in the question. Yeah, um, they're saying what they need to do. Yeah, and... You know, here's the thing is people think if they get divorced, then all the like all the problems go away and like things are different. It's better. Um, If you want a healthy divorce and I've seen some awesome divorces where they have a great relationship. It's a great friendship. They're they're awesome at co-parenting. Their kids are thriving and divorce is awesome. I know that sounds backwards, Um, but the way that that happens is each individual has some of the same principles that it takes for a healthy marriage, Mm. which is they're honest, they're empathetic, they're patient with each other. They know who they are and they, they have a connection to God. Um, and, and so that's how an awesome divorce happens. And what if, what if you do all those things and, and the other person doesn't, the other person is just like angry and manipulative and is it still possible to have a, a good divorce? Have I stumped you guys? They're just like <laughs> I, silent. I don't know you would call it a healthy divorce, but you could probably still be in a good headspace on your own. Yeah, It'd so just from, be your, harder. from your side of the fence, absolutely. That's within you to, to create that on your side. Um, you can show up as that powerful person who's a good influence on them, a good example to your kids, and boundaried, yet not resentful to, to them. You don't get walked on. Um, but you also aren't resentful back to them and, and you can have compassion for why they hate your guts, right? Or have compassion for why they're so manipulative, um, yet stay boundaried at the same time. And so uh, from your side of the fence, you can create a great divorce. Um, and it sucks that they, they don't want to have a really great divorce, right? But you can on your side of the fence. So Okay, so back, I think that's awesome and I think it's possible. The question of like, how do I do this when I can't go back to my parents? It sounds like maybe they're not going to be well and not being taken care of. So maybe this is part of the concern. Yeah. Of it's going, it's not going great. Well, yeah. So that, that's, that's one thing that keeps people stuck in marriage is security, Mm. uh, financial security. And, um, you know, that is hard and you might have to make some adjustments that, that are difficult. Like maybe you have to work more or. Um, or get a job. Um, but, it, you know, you look at it and it's like, okay, this marriage is destroying me. Divorce has to be on the table. And look at all your options. Ask, ask friends for support. Um, go back to school. Um, just make a shift so that you can feel more secure as you, as you move out of that. But that's hard. It's difficult. All right. I think that's it for today. Okay. Um, guys, this is, uh, 
this again, this is a little sneak peek um, behind a, the, the monthly Q&A that we do. And so if you ever thought, oh, I want to ask him a question, you can come over to Patreon. You can donate to help support the logistical and financial execution and operation of the podcast because there are some financial commitments that we have and expenses to do uh, that, that are surrounding the podcast. And, you know, if you donate, that helps. That helps to pay for it. But also that gives us an opportunity to give back. So you can totally ask questions there. 